Pharmaceutical Technology presents the Drug Solutions Podcast, where the editors will chat with industry experts from across the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical supply chain. Join us as experts share insights into your biggest questions, from the technologies to strategies to regulations related to the development and manufacture of drug products. This is the Drug Solutions Podcast. everyone, welcome to this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. Today's instalment will focus on drug dosage forms. This episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast is sponsored by Lonza. Lonza is an industry-leading integrated contract development and manufacturing organisation from drug substances to finished drug products. I'm Felicity Thomas, Senior Editor Europe for Pharmaceutical Technology, Pharmaceutical Technology Europe and Biopharm International. In this episode, I will be speaking with David Tizzi, Technical Director at Synopsys LLC, and Renal Gandhi, Global Business Development Director for the Prescription Division of Aptar Pharma. David is the founding member of the scientific team at Synopsys, a specialty services firm dedicated to the development of palatable drug products. He has over 15 years of experience in taste assessment and taste masking novel drug formulations for children and adults, leveraging his background in sensory science and food chemistry. David received his master's in food science from Cornell University and began his career in product innovation at PepsiCo and Nestle. Renal has more than 15 years experience within the drug delivery and pharmaceutical industries, involved in the development and commercialization of wide ranging drug delivery solutions. Over the course of her career, Renal has actively worked on business development related to nasal and injectable devices, such as pre-filled syringes and auto-injectors. Since December 2020, Renal has been working for Aptar Pharma, driving the assessment of new opportunities and focusing on new technologies in particular. Kicking off the episode, David and I chat about some of the key challenges impacting oral dosage forms, and the approaches and solutions available that are aiding with paediatrics in particular. Thanks very much for joining me today, David. It's lovely to have you on to discuss drug dosage forms. Thank you for having me. Oral administration is still a common route employed by industry for dosage forms due to the advantages such as ease of use and convenience of manufacture. However, there are still challenges associated with oral dosage forms. Could you provide a quick rundown of the biggest hurdles in terms of orally administered drugs? Yeah, thank you. I'm not an expert on pharmacokinetics or pharmacodynamics, but there are pretty widely well-known challenges in the realm of developing oral formulations. Um, Those come from uh, first-pass metabolism, uh, degradation by liver enzymes, degradation by digestive enzymes when something is taken orally. Uh, there are there is slow onset of action uh, from an oral formulation versus an uh, in, in injectable or parenteral, uh, and then there's potential drug interactions from other drugs in the gut or known uh, known release characteristic changes with uh, full versus fed versus fasted states, and uh, 
patients might not be able to uh, take oral drug formulations as, as prescribed. So there are big compliance issues because you're leaving a lot of choice in the hands of the patient themselves. Those are the, some of the big challenges. Um, there are also challenges relating to convenience. And most people think of drugs being, uh, oral drugs being the more convenient option. Uh, but for patients that are not able to uh, swallow or have uh, problems uh, with vomiting or that are uh, unconscious, that can also be inconvenient or, or not, not, not possible. As a parent, I've certainly had my share of uh, medicine-tinged vomit on my lap after, uh, after a after giving a child a dose and not knowing how much of that was actually administered in the in the in the liquid form uh, a, a tablet might be more easily identifiable um, but as as saying saying that taste and swallowability are also a big challenge in the in the facet of oral formulations um, so oral formulations need to be appropriate for the population as a whole and special populations like pediatrics, in the case of geri some geriatrics who have difficulty with swallowing or dysphagia, uh, need easier to swallow dosage forms. And without exception, easier to swallow dosage forms result in a product where the active pharmaceutical ingredient, the API, is in close proximity to the oral cavity uh, and receptors in the oral cavity and, and the sinus cavity responsible for measuring flavor. So those could be uh, bitterness or irritation um, in the, in, uh, caused by the active drug product. You mentioned pediatrics there uh, in your first answer. Could you provide a bit more detail about some of the solutions being employed to aid in drug administration with this unique patient group? Um, yeah, as, as uh, well known in the industry, uh, regulatory agencies require a pediatric specific formulation to be generated. And those are through the, the PIP regulations in, in the EMA in Europe or PSP uh, uh, regular, related regulations at, at the FDA level. Um, in terms of novel approaches, they, it's, it's interesting if you've uh, looked in it from the, uh, on the internet, there are many devices, uh, device-based approaches, pill swallowing cups and pill swallowing straws that are really, you know, novel, uh, glidants and wraps that, that can go around adult dosage forms. Uh, but the sponsor of the molecule is going to have to test for that effectiveness. And most of the time, that's not going to be appropriate from the agency's perspective. They're really looking for an adult, uh, a, a pediatric-specific formulation. And that says nothing about the practice of off-label crushing and mixing of, of adult tablets into foods, which has their own uh, safety, stability, and compatibility challenges that the sponsor is going to have to stand by and certify, and, and generally that's not going to be appropriate. So really, you're looking at uh, a novel dosage form uh, through the use of solutions or suspensions, films on, on occasion, orally disintegrating tablets, um, and frequently moving into multi-particulates. Those could be either powders in a sachet or granules or mini tablets. Um, but for all of these, uh, for the reasons I mentioned previous related to the uh, the proximity of the API to the drug cavity, uh, palatability remains a challenge in all of those. Um, so what and what that challenges depends on what the active pharmaceutical ingredient is or the attributes 
from a flavor perspective of the active. Uh, Synopsis's work is on measuring palatability, and uh, we've evaluated hundreds of different molecules from, uh, from flavor-free to some of the worst-tasting molecules in the world, probably. Uh, and in our work, maybe 70% of all molecules are bitter to some degree. But many others have aversive challenges that are um, that either relate to their aroma, their texture, or their feeling factors, what is known as in the sensory literature as chemisthesis. Uh, and each of those, depending on the degree of difficulty and the exact problem, is going to require a different technique to, to solve it. Um, those techniques could be uh, developing a different drug moiety, um, the, meaning a different salt or prodrug formulation, a new flavor system, uh, and for extremely bitter drugs, really sequestration of some form is your, is your only approach. And there are many novel sequestration uh, techniques that involve encapsulation or ion exchange resins or chemical complexation, for instance, uh, frequently seen with uh, cyclodextrins that are able to do that, uh, that complexation and sequestration at a molecular level. Thanks very much to David for those interesting insights. If you are interested in learning more about taste masking advances, then tune into my upcoming Drug Digest video in September, where I will be chatting further with David about this topic, in addition to a couple of other experts about small molecule APIs, excipients and formulation advances. Next up, renal details the intricacies of intranasal drug dosage forms, such as the convenience and the growth of this route of administration, challenges of development and the possibilities of repositioning drug products. Thanks very much for joining me, Renal. It's lovely to talk to you today about drug dosage forms. Yeah, thanks for having me. When approaching drug development, companies need to consider the way in which the drug is dosed, preferentially choosing a dosage form that will not only deliver the active ingredient safely and effectively, but also is patient friendly. So looking at intranasal dosage forms in particular, could you provide a brief rundown on the key advantages that such a form could provide for both companies and patients? Yeah, I think for intranasal delivery, it is in growth mode. It's becoming more and more mainstream. As we're seeing products that had launched maybe in the 90s, they were more niche, they were smaller markets. Um, but now with the success of intranasal naloxone, we're seeing more widespread knowledge and understanding of the capabilities of intranasal delivery. It can be used for a life-saving situation, which is huge. Because I think there have been questions on the reliability of being able to deliver intranasally. And this is the perfect case where we can see that it can be used for life-saving applications where we know the drug product is going to be able to be delivered for the patient. And so that just brings it to a whole different level of trust in that delivery format. So I think we will be seeing a lot more development in that space. And so with that, it's, it's pretty interesting to be able to see how it can be further explored, what other molecules could potentially be repurposed into uh, an, an intranasal and really provide some new opportunities for life cycle management for old molecules and create new growth opportunities. 
And then when we see why it's been doing well, it's really from the patient standpoint. Nasal delivery is needle-free. It's a non-invasive method where patients can self-administer. Or if you have to dose to a loved one, you're not sticking a needle in. It's, it's a spray and it just a, a level of comfort um, and avoiding that fear in administration that it provides. And nasal cavity is very well vascularized. So I think we could talk about that some more of how well the drug uptake can be when it's from the nasal cavity. So it's really this factor of convenience and easy to dose and the open market that's, that's here for development that uh, is, uh, is really a, quite an advantage for intranasal. And it must be easier from a healthcare professional side as well, just to be able to uh, dose with a, an intranasal delivery device versus using a needle. Yeah, you're not making that same face uh, when you see a, a needle come at you versus <laughs> a, a nasal spray, right? Yes, yeah. And you don't need all of the uh, sterility and, you know, uh, as you would with a, a needle um, dosage form. Agreed. The formulation doesn't need to be sterile. The manufacturing can be much easier. So costs are contained. Um, yeah, it just makes it, it makes it simpler from a development standpoint. You mentioned there that development can be simplified, but are there any particular challenges related to the development of an intranasal dosage form that companies must take into account? So when we think about intranasal products, it really falls into, it's a combination product. So there's four main categories that need to be dealt with. It's the molecule, the formulation, the device, and the patient. With the formulation, the right dosage needs to provide the right balance of concentration and viscosity. I'm gonna focus a bit more on the device aspects that need to be tackled here, but it's really getting that right therapeutic effect because the drug needs to be retained within the nasal cavity in the right location to make sure the product can meet the right PK that uh, is required. Here in the nasal cavity, the drug needs to battle against tight junctions in the turbinates and mucociliary clearance can be a big challenge because it can, in the nasal cavity, it can be, drug can be swept away. That's the function of the nose, right? To keep clean. And so it can sweep the drug away before it has time to absorb. And what we've worked on and what we see are formulation techniques that can help balance these factors. Then the formulation needs to work with the device. So having the right spray characteristics with the formulation, I'd say it's, that's the biggest challenge is finding that sweet spot where the formulation and the device and the functionality of them being put together all work together. From a device aspect, we have devices that can provide a one dose of 100 microliters, and that's that's the common unit dose that's on the market today. But in cases where there's a slightly larger dose um, and need to be able to achieve a, a higher drug load, a bi-dose is an option where it can provide two doses of 100, reaching 200 microliters, and that can help when there's some dosage issues. And then there's therapies that need chronic delivery day-to-day, -day, there we could look at multi-dose devices. Then the question of preservatives versus non-preservatives and the, how that factors into the formulation needs to be considered. So there's quite a few aspects that need to be brought into the equation here. All in the end, thinking about the patient and 
thinking about how the therapy will fit into their lives and the functionality of the product needs to needs to work well. And that's really been a big focus of our development in uh, in next generation devices. You mentioned earlier as one of the advantages, um, life cycle management, so that kind of repositioning or repurposing of drugs. Uh, could you maybe provide a bit more information about this life cycle management approach? And are there any best practices that companies should follow? Yeah, I mean, right, with the nasal drug repositioning um, really provides an av avenue for life cycle management to create a new life basically into a drug product that may have otherwise um, finished their patent life. So we could look for molecules that maybe that have been genericized that are no longer protected by patents that could be repurposed into nasal, maybe drugs that haven't done so well in other formats. Oral products tend to have GI issues. Intranasal, going the intranasal route, we can bypass all those side effects. And so that could bring another life, another opportunity for the molecule to be turned into an actual drug product. And otherwise, it's really thinking about how can we modify the, the combination of the product, um, bringing it together with maybe a different molecule to provide a better therapy for patients. And so using existing, and then some of those cases, there's also existing clinical data and if we could leverage that, we already can start, we're not starting from square one in terms of drug development. Here, you can maybe leverage some of the talks and the safety data that have been generated. Um, if there's no nasal, there's an add-on, slight add-on to the nasal aspect, but at least a big portion of that data set can be leveraged from the existing. And that's a huge advantage in terms of cost and risk to development process. So keeping that in mind is a good way to be able to simplify and reduce the costs and risks of uh, drug delivery. Lastly, are there any advances or trends in the field of intranasal drug development that you believe will be important in the near future? Yeah, um, with the, the phase of nasal drug development that we're in right now, there's so much research in this space. Um, there's universities that are in companies that are looking at the, the pathways of nasal delivery. And now there's a lot more understanding in this space. What are the device and what's the formulation requirements? And we're seeing some pretty interesting level of understanding, which then is driving some of the new trends that we will probably be seeing in the next few years. Um, as we look at the pathways of delivery, Understanding that linkage between deposition to the PK is, is one that is going to be driving new development. And there's a really good paper by Nanofarm that looks at the, the link between the deposition to the PK impact from a modeling standpoint. So that could be an interesting read. Um, and with that, we look at look um, what different routes of administration and targeting could be important. So factory targeting, which is the upper part of the nasal cavity that can help with transport from the nose into the brain. And there's some research going on there. And so we are working from a device standpoint to be able to maximize olfactory targeting to be able to aid in that type of delivery. And as drugs are getting, as we're seeing more and more molecules being tested for nasal delivery, 
then we're looking at different dosage concentrations. So in some cases, liquid and solubility can pose an issue. And so there we're seeing a trend to turning to powder delivery where it can aid in that transport and formulation issues that maybe are, are existing. So that's definitely one that we're seeing. And then really taking advantage vaccine and antibody development, COVID I think changed how comfortable people are with uh, spraying into the nose and uh, being tested in the nose. And so there's been a lot more development in vaccine and antibody development um, into for intranasal delivery. And then biologics, it's a growing field uh, across pharma, injectables as well. And now we're exploring how can biologics or peptides, larger molecules, stem cells be looked at for uh, the intranasal delivery as well. So that could be some uh, pretty interesting work that, that we'll see in the next few years. Pretty excited that, uh, pretty excited to be a part of it and see how it's going to grow. That's great. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Rena. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks very much to Rena there for her expert insights into intranasal drug dosage forms. And thanks again to David for sharing his expertise. If you are interested in learning more about drug dosage forms, visit our websites, farmtech.com and biofarminternational.com, where you can find a whole host of content, such as video interviews, in-depth articles, peer review research and much more. Thank you to our editors and experts for sharing their insights. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Drug Solutions Podcast with the Pharmaceutical Technology Editors. If you want to stay in touch with the pharmaceutical technology team, subscribe to this podcast as well as to our e-newsletters. When you sign up for our newsletters, you will be updated about future episodes of Drug Solutions, receive our magazines, learn about upcoming webinars and hear about episodes of Drug Digest. Thanks to everyone for joining us for this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. <laughs>